Okay, wake up in the morning and I go and get the paper. Hey, Geek fans, today we're talking Jessica Jones, and we have an interview with David Griffin, a freelancer for Screen Rant, Collider, and Think Hero. Stay tuned. one with two espresso shots and it called Red Eye. Ain't no telling how many newspapers I read. Buy several papers and I'll read them all twice so I can Hey, Central Michigan University, this is Ben Solis. My name is Malcolm Bennett. Malcolm Bennett, and we have Tyler in the studio. Say hi, Tyler. Hello, everyone. Oh, hi. And we are the Raven Geeks. Today, guys, we got a nice little slate of stuff for you. We've got an interview, an exclusive interview with a CMU alumnus, David Griffin. And uh, many of you may or may not know him, but he is a freelance journalist. He writes for Collider. He writes for uh, Screen Rant and Think Hero. He is a consummate nerd, and he uh, blessed us with his nerdy presence on Saturday last week. And mm-hmm. so we're gonna we're gonna give you a taste of that. But until then, we got some really cool things going on. We're gonna have a short little review of Spectre. Tyler uh, went to see Spectre, and then we're gonna talk about the new Marvel series. Jessica Jones seems pretty hot. But uh, in the meantime... All right, Tyler, we're putting two minutes on the clock exactly. you got a two-minute review here, buddy. Ready? James Bond, Spectre. Three, two, one, go. So, okay, you're going to go in the tiers of, like, which James Bond movie was better. Skyfall was definitely better. There's no doubt about it. I wouldn't... A lot of people are putting it then uh, Casino Royale before it. I wouldn't... I'd say that's after. Um, My biggest complaint with the James Bond movie was you could definitely tell that Daniel Craig is just kind of over being James Bond. He was just really kind of just... Way too stoic and looked bored. Um, Daniel Craig's stoic. <laughs> yeah, Christoph Waltz was a really good villain. Really good. I mean, you see him in like all these Quentin Tarantino movies. He's like, wow, he's gonna be a great Bond villain. It's true. Just a little underutilized. Um, I was telling Ben that you know the movie was like really, really high action, really, really low, kind of almost getting borderlines of being bored. Then really, really high action. All in all, I mean, if you're gonna get it a ten, like out of a ten score, I'd say like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Kind of disappointing because this might be the final Daniel Craig James Bond movie, but still worth going to see in theaters. Absolutely. All right, Bond car. Uh, the Bond car was the was pretty cool. They kind of did a throwback to like one of the older Bond cars and kind of teased it, and then gave you the new Bond car. Um, I don't I don't want to go too much into it because yeah. it's it's a spoiler. But I mean, the Bond car is cool, and there's also Dave Bautista as the villain. Again, again, like I said, villains are kind of underutilized. Dave Bautista, I think, could have been a little better part of the the movie. There is a fight scene between him and Daniel Craig, though. Might be the greatest fight scene I've seen in a movie since, like, The Raid. I mean, very, very good fight scene. Gadgets? Cool gadgets in this one? Um, They don't really use gadgets. There's a watch, and that's pretty much, uh, like, out of the top of my head, there's a watch. That's, like, the only gadget I really remember. Like I said, this one kind of went back to, like, the more, like, I want to kind of say, like, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy type spy movie, where it was, like, a lot of, like, talking and trying to figure things out espionage instead of like the gadgets let's go in this building and like save someone all right you have 15 seconds left what about the bond girl yeah i was gonna she was she was great um i mean she's a bond girl she's you know they kind of she's one of the more smart bond girls not like i'm a spy bond girl with you um a little creepy though, because she kind she kind of seemed young. He seemed old. <laughs> and you're done. Yeah, so. well, that was that was a good that was pretty minutes, good. man. Was good right power. Yeah, you know, wow. I do what I can. We're gonna have power <laughs> reviews from Tyler from now on because he apparently is more succinct with this than we are. Yeah, we're Would definitely you, pretty long. Uh, le- less busy, yeah. more <laughs> more substance. So now that we've got that out of the way, we're gonna talk to you guys about the brand new Marvel Netflix television show, aka Jessica Jones. Got ourselves a full trailer for once. Got ourselves a full trailer. It looks really nice. It was really intriguing. We actually all sat around and watched it um, as we were planning this episode. And, and fellas, what do you think? First impressions, very interesting. Uh, it's it's as gritty and probably ground level as, as I think Daredevil was in I the fact so that they wouldn't. They're not afraid to like break some bones and and 
cut some people up. You know, it's, it seems like the fight scenes are going to be pretty cool. Um, very psychological, though. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting with, like, the purple man mm-hmm. uh, played by David Tennant, who almost seems like he's kind of like this, I don't know, like, Je- Jessica almost, like, thinks he's, like, a figment of her imagination or, like, so nobody... He's omnipresent, man. Nobody yeah. really believes that he's, he's... He's a puppet master, not so much, like, a muscle guy. Yeah, he, definitely. He makes you, like, mess yourself up. He doesn't mess you up you know what i'm saying kind of thing like it's weird but yeah, gets, gets yeah. In her head. yeah. I, the only thing i'm Literally. a little i'm a little hesitant about like the abusive like he almost like seems like an abusive like lover kind of relationship with her you know which i, I don't know if that's not handled the right way people might get a little upset about you might get a little portrayed. creepy yeah yeah i mean it, it, there's like some things in alias where it gets a little like sexual assault Right, I mean, you know. Oh about well, that, right? I mean, for lack of better words, it gets real rapey kind of in okay. there. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And I wonder how much they'll touch on that in this show because it it looks like she's kind of damaged, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a you know the way that Netflix rolls with these shows now, especially with what we saw in Daredevil, they could go full full bore into that. And I don't know if it's done if it's done tastefully and done in a way that like eventually empowers her in the end. I'm sure they can get away with it, but I know there's going to probably be some backlash if they actually go. Directly yeah. into that concept. But first impressions, I mean, what did you guys think? I thought it was great, dude. I mean, the, the the cinematography for all this stuff is what really, really gets me. I mean, the cinematography for Daredevil was fantastic. And even just, like, some of the shots that I saw in the trailer were, were just great. Especially with her, like, sitting there and there's, like, a one-point perspective and the lights are starting to flicker on and off, like, around her. That was cool, yeah. All very cool stuff. I'm intrigued even just, like, from that standpoint. But uh, I don't know, guys. Do you guys really really know who jessica jones is do any of us really know who jessica jones is i mean she's definitely kind of a more b or c level i think even marvel she is marvel she's relatively new too so guys in order to do this in order to help help you guys understand and help ourselves understand <laughs> yeah. a little bit we did some research and we're going to talk about who this character actually is so fellas did you do your reading did you do your homework I did a little bit of homework, I, homework. I, I, I watched a video or, or two you watch one video <laughs> yeah, well you know well, again, I am the resident scholar here. Uh, no, not really. Um, but yeah, so a quick look at Jessica Jones's past. You'll you'll find that she has an immediate uh, interaction with Luke Cage. She actually becomes Luke Cage's wife, which is kind of cool. So we'll see that eventually, some down the road with the. Uh, they have a child together as well. Yeah, I believe. yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, she was introduced in November of two thousand one. So really relatively new and she was uh, introduced in marvel max which is interesting because we were talking about that the other day about marvel max being this kind of adult comic book right yeah you have a little bit more information on the marvel max thing you want to share do i i think you did no i don't think i did <laughs> but i from what i know i mean there was there was a punisher max line uh i think there might have been like marvel knights and moon knight mm-hmm. were under max um but it, it was more it was closer maybe to like vertigo and like the level of violence that they would portray you know, because you have your kind of sanitized Punisher where he opens up a, a can of whoop-ass in a room full of mobsters, but there's, like, no blood really or anything. And, sure, yeah. you know, it's not as bad. And then you have, like, the really, like, hardcore, like, Garth Ennis, Matt Dillon Punisher where, I mean, they're not afraid to, like, really kind of one-up themselves with each issue and kind of the things that he does to the criminals. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they uh, – I didn't realize she was in a, in a Max line. Is that she was introduced? She there? was introduced in one of the Marvel Max lines, and in fact, that was um, Alias. So mo- one of the Marvel Max lines was Alias. There's two lines that she's really kind of primarily known for: the Alias line, and then um, what was it? The 
And this has nothing pulse, to do the pulse. No, absolutely nothing and, to do with the show. And the and the pulse comes comes along because after she gets done doing her like professional investigating thing, she goes to actually write for the Daily Bugle on their like superhero column, yeah. and that's called the pulse. So that's why the com- comic line's called the pulse. Oh, cool. So even even just to backtrack up a little bit, that that sets it up really well. Um, in her in her backstory, which is really interesting, she went to the same high school that Peter Parker went to. And actually, she was in the same class. She was actually there. She was present when Parker was bit by the radioactive spider. She, she was going to go actually tell him, I love you. Yeah, she and was then the it. spider bite happened. kind of distracted distract her. her. She had to like leave. So Yeah, so she never got her moment, man. That's, that's some interesting retconning. Yeah, I think they brought that up in Civil War, didn't they? I think so, yeah. Yeah, she's really connected in with uh, the Marvel Knights, you know, I mean, kind of Spider-Man, Moon Knight, mm-hmm. Iron Fist. Well, she uh, is one of Luke her characters. They, they, she actually takes on um, some, and it's funny that there's a book is called Alias, but she takes on her own super aliases. Um, she was Jewel. She was Nitrous, following the, the, the Nitrous. Nitrous. <laughs> That's a pretty and, good name. And Power Woman, which is funny. So it's like the Power Girl analog. Yeah. Very strange. Well, you know, I, or, I'm sorry, Luke Cage is Power Man, so I guess that must have happened when they were married. Yeah, yeah. he asked her yeah. to do it. Yeah. He's like, hey, I'm Power Man, we'll, then Will we'll you have Power, power baby. baby, and then we have Power Baby, and then we'll get a Power Dog, and drive around in a Power Car, you know, all that good <laughs> the stuff. Power Family. Power yeah. Contingent, man. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's it was created by Bendis, which is great. Yeah, you know, Brian, Brian Michael by, Bendis is the best. Yep, and uh, in, in an interview, they actually got into the, the genesis of um, Jessica Jones. Originally, Alias was going to star Jessica Drew, which you guys know as Spider-Woman, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They were trying to, like, shove Spider-Woman into this canon, and they couldn't get it to work. So they just decided to scrap that and just do something completely on its own. And it worked out great because this run, I mean, it lasted for four years. It was a really popular run. And now, like you said, that she's really kind of interwoven with, like, certain side characters, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, what's she all about, Tyler? She basically... She's kind of got, like, the Superman-esque powers. I mean, she's super strong. She's, like, super resistant. She's basically Power Man, mm-hmm. but a girl, and she can fly. Um, she is weak, though. She, they haven't really gone into, like, how resistant she is. I mean, like, Spider-Woman's, like, Venom Blast can take her out. I mean, Iron Man beat her in a fight, and Tony Stark isn't exactly, you know, a black belt. So, I mean, you know, I think it just kind of fluctuates. For her, more, it's always been the fact that she's been, like, that psychologically damaged, just characters like i mean i have to say just a little bit that i've kind of gone into her since i've heard about the show she's becoming one of my favorite marvel characters because i feel like she is a strong female character that's they're not just like hey we need a strong female character like that's just who she is yeah and not like oh you know we need to have a strong girl so that the girl crowd can get in the comics she, that's just it would just happen to be that this character is a girl and that's what I, I think that's my favorite part about her is I don't feel like they're trying to shoehorn in a character here. They just made a good character. Yeah, they did. And the interesting thing is, too, is that this show is going to kind of encapsulate all these different elements of her storyline. Like the private eye aspect that they're really kind of harping on on the show, that doesn't really happen until later in her canon, you yeah. know, until after some of the Paul stuff happens and yada yada. So it's cool that they're bringing that in rather actually pretty early. Well, too. I mean, and then the and – the, the fact of the fact that she's on this TV show, it really fits in because Purple Man actually the first I think it was like either the first job that he gave her to do when she was Jules when he met her was hey you need to go kill Daredevil. Which is great. So, so I think that's what they're gonna tie. and they're gonna tie Daredevil into the show. Um, but 
in the comics they can't do this now, but she actually can't find Daredevil and just see Scarlet Witch, who also wears red, and is like, <laughs> "Hey, there's a red superhero. I'm gonna go kill that oh, superhero." Yeah. And then that's how like she gets tangled up with the Avengers, and then she disappears for 18 years, which you find out an alias and like terrible, terrible things happen to her. And then when she comes back, that's when she's like, "I was gone for like." Or did I say 18 years? I meant like eight months. I think it was. I was like, holy yeah. crap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, ballpark it. Eight, I think yeah, it was eight months she was gone. And she's like, I was gone for eight months and nobody knew that. Like, no one, like, if Peter Parker was gone for eight months, everyone would know. But I'm gone for eight months and no one cares. And that's why she goes into the alias thing because she's like, I'm just done with the superhero thing, but I still want to help people kind of thing. So yeah. she becomes like a, a Bullock like character, you yeah. know? That's cool. And, and the mm-hmm. alias is alias private investigations, right? That's mm-hmm. like the whole idea. So she's got this, like, this. This institution of, of mm-hmm. going out and finding the stuff, so it's kind of cool. Yep, I think it's cool too. Like I saw a lot of parallels with like her investigation business and like uh, Murdoch's law firm. I did too in Daredevil. I think that's cool that they're both like there's there's going to be like some mirroring there of like people who are like crusading their own way and like they're they're using institutions, but yet at the same time they're also going around at night like punching people. Absolutely. I just I wonder how this is going to tie in. I mean, New York's going to start to get a little crowded pretty soon here with but all these see, I, you, you know, you say that, but I actually think that this Netflix series is going to be the way of Marvel's future. Because oh, think about it. We got the Infinity Wars coming up. They're fighting Thanos. Where are they going to go after that? Yeah. They can't keep getting bigger. They're going to have to go back to the smaller ground level things. So you might see, you know, Charlie Cox's Daredevil in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. And they kind of do like the Battlestar Galactica where they had like a TV show and then a movie and then the movie didn't do so well. So they go back to the TV show and all this yeah. good stuff. Yeah. And I, th- cause I think that's what they're going to have to do is go smaller. And you're going to see characters like this Jessica Jones. And, you know, she's, she might be one of the next big Marvel characters. And it comes out of these Netflix shows. Well, no hero is complete without a good rogues gallery. Uh, aside from the Purple Man, are there any other like major adversar- adversaries that she goes toe-to-toe with? I am not sure. Aside well, from being I- on a team group with the Avengers and things like that, like who's – Who's her nemesis? Like I said, the reason I liked her so much is because she's very flawed. So I would argue that her biggest enemy isn't even the Purple Man. The biggest enemy is herself mm-hmm. because she was a superhero, had super strength. She was like super like you go like in the flash of the show. She was like all happy and like, oh, I'm here to save the day. And then just was beaten down to like a shell of a person. And then she had to like rebuild herself. And then she eventually got a family and she like crawled out of the ashes. And, you know, so – I think her biggest villain is herself. Obviously, the Purple Man. Everyone knows that. But I think a lot of the just it's a lot of street level thug type characters. Anyone that Luke Cage or Iron Fist have fought because she's yeah. friends with them. General Mooks and yeah, Goons I think she. Yeah. I think in the comics she tangles with the Kingpin a little bit sometimes. And I was just yeah. gonna say that too is that aside mm-hmm. from the Purple Man, a lot of what I'm reading right even just right now is that she kind of just like jumps around even like how Punisher does and just fights like random you know heroes or villains throughout the entire. Situation. Yeah, she so. she she kind of like takes care of the neighborhood instead of saving the world. Gotcha. So you know it's that's why I say it's a lot of just no name gangster stuff. But every once in a while Kingpin. You know, yeah. or any of those other big mob boss guys. So. Well, it's interesting too to, uh, that you mentioned that this this concept of like miniaturization of their of their universe too. In, in many ways, I don't even think that they're going to use Daredevil or Jessica Jones in a movie. I think when they get down to Infinity Wars, everybody's going to be done. You know, they they have this big long task of trying to replace the actors of these characters, but yeah. it's going to be extremely hard because they're everybody's so used to Robert Downey Jr. They're so used to you know Chris Evans. Honestly, if they just stay with the TV shows, I think Marvel's future and, and, is bright. And that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm thinking we might not so much see the Marvel Cinematic Universe disappear, but you're going to see it almost – it's going to reboot on itself, and it's going to start back over from scratch. You're not going to see, like, a Thor one. I mean, you might. Who knows? But I don't think they should do that with a that. new Thor person. If they do, I'm, I might just say, 
you know what, Marvel, I had, you know, my, you had like 10 years of my life. Like, good job. Thank, you had, here's all my money. Thank and I'm just going to watch on Netflix, you know. Well, so that's, I mean, that's probably a whole other conversation for another time. Yes, but, I mean, so let's, let's take a break here and we'll come back with David Griffin. We're going to get into a lot more about like TV shows and kind of where that landscape is going after this. So, see you in a minute. Okay. Wake up in the morning and I go and get the paper. Gotta get the paper. Hey everybody, the 2015 Fall Holothon is on. If you're coming to play some games, this is the place for you. We got Magic the Gathering, we got Hero Clicks, Force of Will. The next two weekends, go head on down to the Hall of Heroes at 620 South Mission on Sunday, uh, November 8th, and uh, Saturday, November 14th, to register for some sweet, sweet prizes and delicious competition. Also, attention! The USS Hall of Heroes is looking for volunteers on a dangerous away mission into enemy territory. Uh, your assignment, beam down to Celebration Cinema on Thursday, December 17th at 7 p.m. for the opening of Star Wars The Force Awakens. Well, we have an important detail for you guys. In order to qualify for this mission, you're going to have to be in Starfleet uniform. It's a little risky, but tickets for this event are sponsored by the Hall of Heroes. It's only going to be uh, 8 bucks, and seating is limited, so you better jump on that quick. Uh, come into the hall with cash or call. Uh, you can drop a credit card down if you want to secure your place. Live long and prosper. David, thank you very much for joining us here on the Raving Geeks today. Um, I know you're, you're calling in from California. So it's a little bit, a little bit off time. So we appreciate your time. Um, you know, one of the things that we have noticed about your career and things like that is that you're doing basically what all of us want to do. You sit around, you talk about movies, you talk about comic books, and you get paid for it. Um, how did you turn your passions into a career like that? That's a good question, guys, and thanks for having me. I uh, love talking to some people from Central Michigan, uh, Mount Pleasant. I spent uh, five years. It'll be five years to graduate, so I <laughs> um, uh, love, love doing this. Uh, no, it started with actually me going to grad school. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I wanted to get into this at first, and I, so I came out to California, to Pasadena specifically, had a couple of years in grad school and realized that I just, whatever, what I was going into, I just wasn't passionate about. Mm-hmm. But I knew I loved comic books, I knew I loved video games, I'd go on websites like IGN, you know, GameSpot, uh, all these places that I love to go to. I'm like, how do you get, have a career in this? You, know, you can't go up to like an office and fill out an application. Um, yeah, which, so which box do you check? You know, like I'm a geek, I'm a nerd, uh, you know, movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what I did is I, I uh, found this uh, small YouTube site called Think Hero, uh, which Dennis Dan, who is the video production manager on Collider Video now, uh, that's his that's his YouTube page that I'm a part of. And I basically just Facebook stalked him. I sent him messages. I said, hey, I love what you do. How do I get involved in this? He said, send me a writing sample. And this was uh, June 2011. So X-Men First Class had just come out. So I wrote a three-page review of X-Men First Class. He said, let's meet. And then it all took off from there. That's a you know, long story short, but that's how it all took off. Gotcha. So it wasn't even a matter that you really knew too many people in the business. You just had to uh, be... Take the take the initiative to go and do that. Um, was I was just say too, and I, I got uh, sometimes you need a little bit of luck to yeah. get the right people. And, and what happened is when I started with Big Hero, Ross Cornett was there as well, and then Ross went on to work for AMC, and then she went on to be the editor, the head entertainment editor at IGN, and then she got me a job at Screen Rant as a writer, where I do my written content. I'm writing Star Wars Rebels reviews right now. I'm going to check those out, and um, then from there. 
you know, I've been doing stuff with her on Hit Fix, and then Dennis got me, you know, helped me out with Collider, and now I'm on Collider. So it also helps just meeting the right people and just making connections. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, that's where I kind of got a hold of, like, of you was watching. You know, I listen to every single thing Collider puts out. I listen to the podcast. Like, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. And I can't remember, it was a couple weeks ago. Like, I sent you a tweet because of the episode before that. You were just kind of like, oh, you know, I went to uh, – you were talking about, like, movies that are limited release. Now you used to have to go to Lansing because you went to a small school of CMU. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, that's where I go. Yeah, you're speaking our language. So I was kind of like – Hey, I, I'm just sent out a tweet and was just kind of like, "Hey, man, as a fellow chip, you know, I understand what's going on." So, when I got involved with the podcast with these guys, I was like, "Hey, I actually kind of think if we could get an interview set up, you know, I got someone who'd be a really cool interview since he used to go here." So we're pretty well known. Yeah, in- I mean, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, our communications uh, programs here are pretty well, but way out there in, in California, I got to wonder if you run into many uh, many alumni out there. You, yeah. Do you know many people in that industry from, from CMU? Not from CMU. Uh, I do have some friends out here, but there are a lot of them are teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's kind of out on the same path uh, that I have. I was going to say, going back to that story about Lansing, yeah, the story, uh, that was me going to see Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember tracking that movie. You know, now, you know, you watch the trailer, it's like, you know, it's limited release in New York and L.A., and of course, you're in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, <laughs> you know, kind of in the middle of you don't, you don't have, you know, L.A. or New York nearby, so... I remember finally came to Lansing and I drove down there. So, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, again, it's those kind of, it's weird looking back on it. It's like I can see where my passions were, but I didn't know, like you guys, I'm, if anything, I'm a little jealous of you guys. You're starting so young. Uh, I didn't know, my realize my passions until I was probably like 26, 27. You know, I'm 31 now, so I'm, I'm, I'm envious of you guys. When you when you were at CMU before you decided to take a different path, what what were you doing? You mentioned you were in grad school, but what what, what was it that you were doing? Uh, I was a double major in uh, English and history, mm-hmm. so uh, a lot of that has helped me. You know, history is a lot of reading and writing, and you know, in English I was a creator of writing emphasis major, so that helped me out a lot. Uh, especially when I wanted to get a job at Screen Rant because Screen Rant is all written, so uh, that, that really helped me out a lot for that. It kind of prepared me. Fantastic. And when you were here, what was the nerd climate like? What was nerd culture like? Right now, because for, for us, we always kind of joke around that, that we're living in a new silver age of all these great comic book movies, all these great kind of just like nerd franchise. Some of them are being rebu- rebooted, and although we have a couple of problems with that left and right, you know, what was it like for you going through that here at CMU? Again, uh, just uh, hanging out. I had my friends, my first set of roommates. I went in blind to, uh, I don't know if they saw the tower, the old towers, not, 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 not the new towers. Uh, when I was a sophomore, the new towers over there were just being built. Um, so my freshman year up in the old tower and my roommates were all, we all kind of like the same thing. I remember freshman year, we went to go see right at the end of May, so right before we were leaving home to go home for summer. I think it was X2. I think it was X2 was out then. And then we went to the midnight release that night at the uh, celebration over there. And, uh, so all my friends were kind of into that already. And I wasn't a fraternity. Uh, my fraternity brothers weren't into it as much as I was, but, uh, the friends, my roommates that I had were, I just, I don't know. I think we didn't call it nerd culture at that time. I didn't understand that term like we do now. I just kind of did it, you know. Again, I didn't really realize the potential for a job or the pursuit of a career until I came out to California. Uh, honestly, at CMU, I just, just kind of did it and didn't call it anything. What do you think, because of like the more, 
I guess like more focus on what is being put out now. We were just talking yesterday about uh, the cancellation of the slave lay and merchandise, and there's been a couple of things like in the last like year where uh, comics have become like really socially conscious. And I just be, just because of the area that you're in, you know, we're over in the Midwest, um, so maybe it's not as socially conscious as out there. But I'm just wondering what what you think about that kind of increased uh, focus on having like diversity and and equal representation and things like that. Well, I think it's great. Uh, actually, last night before I went to bed, you know, I was thinking about doing this podcast in the morning, of course, and then uh, <laughs> I was reading, I've been reading Secret Wars, uh, Marvel's new big, you know, big uh, big story right now. And, you know, when they finally finish with Secret Wars, you're going to have, I believe, a Korean-American Hulk. Uh, you know, right now, Captain America is black. Um, you know, Batwoman on DC is lesbian, which is awesome, you know, even though they wouldn't let her get married, you know, and that's why those guys left that comic a while back, but... I think it's a good thing. I think it's good and bad. There's some bad parts because everybody's so worried about being politically correct. Um, but then there's some good things because we are seeing so much diversity in comics uh, on TV, you know, The Flash, Arrow. Um, it's getting better, especially the CW, which I don't want to say is kind of a whitewashed network, but they are they are definitely good. They have shows like Jane the Virgin, uh, which is a completely Hispanic-based show. So, I mean, they're really TV, um, comic books, film, it's all expanding. I, I'd love to see Marvel do more female-driven characters. I mean, we know, you know, DC's got some uh, a Wonder Woman movie coming out. I hope Marvel kind of follows suit with that as well. Going on that Wonder Woman Going on that Wonder Woman movie, I mean, that's something that has been so hard for people to peg down. There's been, like, maybe three instances in the last couple decades of projects getting started and then, you know, getting tossed to the wayside for whatever reason, people backing out or just not getting the support. Um, you know, why is that character in particular so tricky, in your opinion? Well, she's, she's tough. I mean, she's a hard comic uh, character even to write, you know. Uh, this last run with uh, uh, Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang on DC, this wrapped up their run a, a few months back, and it was fantastic. They did a great job capturing who Diana is. Uh, I, I, if you guys get a chance to read that, you should check it out. Yes, Cliff Chang and uh, Brian Azzarello, fantastic. Uh, from a movie standpoint, I don't know. I mean, we haven't really had an interpretation of her outside of Linda Carter, or I guess the DC animated movies you could go to. That, that's a great movie. Too. That came out in 2009, the Wonder Woman DC animated movie. Definitely worth checking out. Nathan Fillion is one of the voices. Uh, very good. It, it's, she's just, you know, she's strong. She's powerful. She's, it, it, it's just, I don't know. I feel like, it's hard. I feel like people are, the creative movies are afraid of doing female leads too much, even though, like, the female-led comedies, like Bridesmaids, uh, do fantastic. You know, I think studios are just catching on. That's why we get the female, all female Ghostbusters. Um, I don't know. I think we just need somebody to come in there and take a chance. I would have loved to have seen the Josh Whedon script uh, get made, but that, that never happened. Josh Whedon said he has a Wonder Woman story. We'll never see that. Uh, so I hope that, you know, under the guide, <laughs> guide, guide of uh, Zack Snyder, that they can find some way to make Wonder Woman work. I hope so. It, it, it's tough. It's a tough one to answer. And you're out there uh, in the industry, I guess you could say. I mean, have you? What do you feel about the increased role that some of these corporations are taking in the visions of the character? I mean, there's kind of like a Marvel movie formula that we've bemoaned lately with with Ant Man coming out. I think it was kind of the most formulaic film yet. And um, you know, what do you what do you think? I mean, even Joss Whedon has had some frustrations with the way that uh, he wants to take characters, and then Edgar Wright, you know, got booted out of his film as well. I mean, do you think it helps to have kind of a singular vision, or does that, like, limit creativity? Uh, again, it's one of those positives and negatives. Uh, I hate to compare it. It's like McDonald's, you know. Uh, 
whether you like McDonald's or you don't like McDonald's, you know exactly what you're going to get. When you order a McChicken sandwich off the dollar menu, you know exactly what that should taste the same in L.A. as it tastes in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. It shouldn't change. So when you see a Marvel movie, you kind of expect to see a certain set, you know, formula. It's going to be jokey. It's going to have, you know, some banter going back and forth. It's, it's going to get serious, but it's never going to get too dark. Um, I, I don't mind that, but at the same time, I, I'd love to see people just be able to run. Like, I would love for Guillermo del Toro to get in there and take a character and just do whatever he wants with the studio interfering. But, you know, Marvel has this vision. It's going to go on past 2020 that they have to get going. I, I'm, that's why I think I'm pumped for DC movies, because DC has a plan, but it seems like they're kind of not worried about calling it phase one or phase two. They're just kind of, like, going for it. You know, they're just kind of doing, they're just going, they're doing side work. We're Flash. We're going to have a Flash on the CW. We're going to have a different Flash on this. Like, you know, we're like, you know, of Shield Marvel have to connect, you know, with the films and, you know, or mess up London, you know, then Agents of Shield will go and we've got to go help clean up London. I mean, I think that limits, you know, the scope of creativity a little bit, in my opinion. So I'm actually more excited, even though I love the Marvel films, I'm more excited for the DC movies coming out. I think there's a greater chance for creativity there. Absolutely. And just to follow that up, you know, with, with DC kind of doing their own thing, trying to create their own mold, uh, do you think this will open up? the stage for other properties and not only other properties, but other studios to come up with more original content, try not to reboot so many things and try to find their own way in, in the industry. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's ever going to change. I think it's just, I, I, I hear you. I, I hope that it does, but I think we're, they're, they're so concerned with these big budget movies of just doing what works. I know Steven Soderbergh is one of my favorite directors. If you ever get a chance, guys, watch a television show called The Nick on Cinemax. It's, it's just fantastic. Soderbergh directs every episode. Now, he left film about four or five years ago. did a great speech, if you guys can look that up somewhere and find that. And he, um, he did that because he just said, look, I can't make the movies that I want to. The $40, $50 million original art house kind of movies are gone. You either make a $200 million movie or you make a super, super indie film. And um, so television, I think, is the new, I'm sure you guys know, I mean, you got Daredevil, you got Jessica Jones coming out, Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead. Television is kind of where it's at right now in terms of creativity. I, I hope it happens in film, but I really think television is the place we're going to get those kind of stories told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and David, I'm going to kind of just kind of go back on some of the things that we've talked about already, just to kind of ask for your opinion. Sure. Um, you mentioned the Brian Azzarello run of Wonder Woman, and I've, I've read the whole thing. I think it's really, really great. Like, see, I... I can't even explain how great I think it is. It's basically how I describe it. So it's so good. I'm really great with adjectives, by the way. Um, so I kind of lo- – I think if DC was smart, they'd kind of go that way with Wonder Woman and really bring in that Greek mythology type, which I'm hoping kind of – you know, you see Sh- like them looking at Sean Bean and Nicole Kidman, and the, those are good people who could play, like, godlike figures. Um, and my question is I've always kind of said, you know, in conversations with my friends – you know, you see Zack Snyder kind of directing, like, movies like The 300 and those weird, like, historical period pieces that, you know, have that weird kind of, like, monster aspect to it. He's he's really good at directing those. Do you think that he would actually maybe be better served serving, like, directing the Wonder Woman movie because he's kind of showed he can make those types of movies before? I think he... One second, Dave. I think we're getting a little glitchy there. Can 
David, can you can, can you can you still hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Okay, okay. sorry, we we got we were getting like some weird like kind of like glitchy there. So oh, glitchy. okay, all right, yeah. I'll, I'll start over. Um, yeah, no, uh, for Zack Snyder, uh, I think he'd be a good overseer, like he was for the, the new three hundred film. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. He has those crazy monster creations. I think Wonder Woman could just go crazy like that. And people pay to see three hundred. Both three hundred films were financially successful, both domestically and internationally. So, yeah, I, I think he could do that. I just don't want him to get overburdened and direct everything. They were some... Michelle McLaren, who directed some fantastic episodes of Breaking Bad, as well as Game of Thrones, she was supposed to direct one of them. I guess creative differences, she left. That's too bad. I think she's one of the more innovative female directors out there. I'd love to see a woman direct this thing. I'd love Zack Snyder to oversee it, but I'd really like to see a woman take Wonder Woman and just go all out, just like the Brian Nazarello story. And then, you know, you mentioned you were reading the... Uh... The Secret Wars for Marvel right now. Um, what is? Are you growing up? Were you more of a Marvel guy, DC guy, a little bit of both? Like, what did you like? What did you read growing up, and what are you kind of into now? Because we always like to do like a recommendation for people who are listening to be like, hey, this is what you should check out. So I wouldn't. I'd be really interested to kind of hear what you liked growing up. What are you reading now? You know, stuff like that. Uh, growing up, I think I had a, a mixture of both Marvel and DC. The older I got, the more DC I started reading. And then now, where I am now, it's funny. Uh, let's see, I was growing up, you know, I was born in 84, so like 92 came around, Batman the Animated Series by Bruce Timm, which is one of my favorite cartoons of all time. Uh, you know, I was like, you know, eight years old when that came out, so I was just all into DC. I, I like the X-Men series, it's okay. But comic books have always been drawn more towards Batman uh, in terms of DC. But now, really, if you look at my comicology list, I'm gone from the digital, but I can't have, I don't have any more room to store physical copies of comics. Uh, I'm reading mostly Image. I love uh, Saga right now by Brian K. Vaughn. Brian K. Vaughn also has a new series called Paper Girls that just started, and that's Cliff Chang's art, which, you know, Cliff Chang did Wonder Woman. It's fantastic. Um, I'm mostly reading, the only superhero books I'm reading is Miss Marvel, uh, which, is, which is really good, and uh, that's, and Secret Wars. Uh, most of the time I'm just reading image comics. So as I've grown, I've started reading more independent things. Like anything Martin Millar puts out, you know, Kingsman, uh, Chrononauts is this new book he has out, which is also got picked up. Everything Mark Miller does gets picked up before he even writes it. <laughs> uh, the studio's already picked it up. So, yeah, I read a little bit of everything right now. We, uh, we're going to be recapping Secret Wars maybe on a later week uh, once we can kind of go back through and sort it all out. But, I mean, what, what do you think about the way that Marvel's going now with the all-new, all-different and, and rebooting all these characters and bringing in, um, you know, alternate versions of characters in the same universe? Do you think that's a smart move, or, you know, what, what do you think about the direction of them right now? I, mean, I feel like it's all financial. You know, it's all about making money. See, when DC rebooted, they, their sales went up. It's, as long as they tell good stories, I'll always read, you know, the comic books. I don't, these big events, you know, you got to pay $5 a comic book and they charge us money. It's like, well, you got to read every single spinoff and you got to read this. It's like, come on, you know, but a couple of the stories good, I'll read it. You know, if uh, Hulk's Korean American, that's awesome, but I hope I just tell a good story. You know, uh, Hawkeye. Is not, oh, I'm sorry, Falcon is Captain America awesome, tell a good story. I don't need it to be a new number one, you know, but as long as it's a good story, that's the most important thing. Um, well, I, I wouldn't mind actually getting start to talk to you about like the TV, like you know, as you talked about the CW. Like I said, I I watch you on the Flash after show for Collider every week, which is so cool that yeah. you get to just sit around and talk about Flash. Just exclusively. The well, show is fantastic. So what we do in the studio, in the Spider Studios, we have like a, a nice room in the back. We have a nice big couch. 
and all four or five of us, sometimes the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. crew, like Michael Medina and that crew will be there too. We just sit there and like eat pizza or whatever food they get for us, just watch it. And we're all like just goofing around. It's really fun. I wish we could film ourselves watching the episodes. It's pretty fun. It's, it's, it's a fun game. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I just, I just watched, I literally like right before we called you, I finished watching the, the one what the, about the episode of Dr. Light from this week. And you actually pointed out something that I didn't even notice watching the episode was that the girl, the coffee stand girl that Cisco got her number. That was hot girl. And, yeah. and I remembered, you know, they said she's coming and we saw, you know, we saw her in the trailer, but I guess I just didn't recognize her when I saw her at first. And I just like, that was kind of something that blew my mind a little bit. Cause I was just like, they bring it in these characters. And I'm not even noticing it. So I, I don't feel like they're, they're doing a good job at like bringing in characters and not like force feeding them to us, I guess. Um, but my question is, you know, I know John isn't so set up with the Patty Spivet character yet. Um, I, I, I actually love her and, uh, I'm sorry. I have, if Felicity smoke is listening, uh, my new blonde love is Patty Spivet and she's just going to have to deal with it a little bit. That is pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah. So I actually have to, this, I would be, uh, in the doghouse if I didn't answer this question. My girlfriend watches the flash with me. She absolutely loves it. And she couldn't stop smiling the whole time the date, uh, scene was happening yesterday. And she told me that I had to ask you, do you think that Iris is going to ruin another one of Barry's relationships or is he finally going to be happy with Patty? Because she said if Iris ruins Patty and Barry, she might stop watching the show because she'll be so angry. Oh man. Uh, uh, speaking of, you know, John Campia, I have to agree with him on his point that he's been making throughout this whole season. I really think Pat, Patty's is there to die. I think she's going to die. No. I, don't think she, I, I don't want her to. I, I'm not trying to, you know, I don't want her to die. I, think, I agree with you. She is fantastic. I love her. She's cute. I love her smile. Every time her, you know, that date was one of the best first dates I've ever seen on a television series. It was fantastic. It was just about, right about awkwardness and cuteness all wrapped up into one. But I really think she is going to die either halfway through the season or at the end of the season. I mean, I think it is destined for Barry to be with Iris at some point. You know, it's all the paper in the future. At least in that reality, he was with Iris. We don't know what reality is or which right now. It's all crazy. The time jump or time change. But, um, yeah, I, I think she's going to die. Uh, you know, tell your girlfriend I'm sorry. I, I don't want her to. I love her. I don't want her to. So, you know, you talking about the paper actually brought up something I actually thought about, you know, I was talking about it with, you know, people I watch the show with. So do you kind of, do you notice the fact, you know, they're always talking about like Harrison Wells, you know, he was such a bad guy. He did this and that, but maybe I just missed this. They're aware that Eobard Thawne was Harrison Wells. So like them being mad at Harrison Wells is kind of redundant because that wasn't him. It was someone in his body, you know? So I just like they under do they understand that Earbot Thon was like the actual bad guy from the first season, or do they honestly think that was Harrison Wells? Because they keep blaming him, and it's like, but that wasn't him, and that's something that's just. Yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. It's weird because you're right. Because Caitlin Snow in the beginning of the episode said, "Well, that really wasn't him. It was Earbot Thon." But then you're right. Throughout the episode, they kept repeating it over and over again, saying. Like, well, this guy with this face did this to me, and this guy did this to me. I'm like, wait, he didn't, it wasn't him. Like, he said it at the beginning. I don't know why they keep doing that. It's not, it wasn't the real Harrison Wells. Yeah, I think they got a little repetitive. That was a little frustrating from, you know, seeing that too. You know, overall, David, I, I think the CW has actually done a, a really, really good job with their DC universe. Um, you know, and they've been able to, to mix this world of, you know, this really kind of gritty Nolan verse on television 
to this massive like metahuman concept. Um, and now that that crossed over to Arrow, um, obviously Supergirl is doing its own thing. And but now they're playing with the multiverse. It's a really super high concept. Um, even just for comic book fans to, to wrap their heads around, how well do you think that they are going to be able to, to keep synthesizing this huge multiverse story into a simple concept for the show? Do you think they're going to run out of steam for that, or do you think that's kind of their saving grace? I hope they don't run out of steam. Uh, you make a good point. I think the only problem is they're going to run into, like the comic books did back in the 80s, where it just goes too big. Then they have to do Price Upon Infinite Earth and just blow everything and then start over again. Or basically what Secret Wars is doing is, you know, <laughs> colliding 616 with the what, 1610 Marvel, Cinema, Marvel Universe blowing everything up because there's too many characters and too many multiverses and all this stuff going on. It can get a little crazy at times. So if they learn to just kind of reel it in a little bit and use it, but just use it sparingly, don't overdo it. I think it could be fantastic. So far, they've hit it out of the park. It's been fine. But like the comic books we've seen in the past, it can get a little crazy and then you start losing track of like who's who and who's from where. So as long as you don't go too crazy with it, I think they'll be fine. And overall, um, what what do you think is going to be better for the culture? Uh, the continued focus on putting out movies, character movies, or doing the television thing, which seems to be reaching a, a different audience, a, a broader audience, and more regularly? I, I love the, uh, the television I mean, as much as I do movie talk, I'm more, I would say my specialty is more TV, you know, for screen and I write specifically for TV. I watch a lot of television. Um, and for me, I'm so excited with the TV because like you guys were asking earlier, like, it, you know, it creates more creativity. Uh, with the movies, you have two, two hours and 15 minutes to hammer out, you know, a story, do the best job you can, which is fine. But with TV, like, look at Daredevil. Daredevil was like, you know, it's awesome. It's like watching a very long movie, just like, you know, Game of Thrones or something like that. I mean, I can't wait for Jessica Jones. I'm actually more, it's funny to hear, I'm actually more excited about seeing, you know, the next Daredevil season of Jessica Jones than I am, I don't know. I mean, I'm excited to see Doctor Strange, but honestly, these television shows, they, they can do whatever they want in a way. I mean, they're not, they're bound to the cinematic universe, but not in the same way that one of the movies is. So again, you get more creativity, you get some fantastic films. I think, um, oh, I'm going to forget his name. The actor who played, oh, D'Onofrio. Mrs. D'Onofrio, mm-hmm. outside of Loki, is the best Marvel villain so far, I think. You know, uh, I mean, Ultron was okay, but he was kind of there and then he was gone. But I think uh, Mrs. D'Onofrio's performance was just as good as Tom Hiddleston. I mean, that's, a, that's one of the best actors in the game right there. So, I don't know. For me, I, I'm excited for the TV universe. I think it's going to be fantastic to watch over the next few years. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I binge-watched Daredevil. I, to me, that's the best thing that Marvel's done yet as far as, yeah. like, live action goes. And, I mean, I, I kind of knew who Jessica Jones was. I'm more of a DC guy um, than Marvel. So, you know, for me, growing up, it was, like, the cartoons is what I knew about Marvel and now the movies. I'm just kind of starting to get into the comics. Um, but everything that I've been seeing from Jessica Jones is... See, it, I'm, I think I might be more excited for Jessica Jones than I was excited for Daredevil because it just I just really like the dark and the gritty. And uh, Kristen Ritter, I love her as an actress so i can't wait to see what she does and i think the purple man i think if they could i i I mean i think they're going to go as dark as they possibly can because you know it's still disney and marvel but i think that that we could be looking at the arrival of like the darkest scariest you know most intense villain that marvel's had so far with him 
Yeah, and David Tennant is the, fan, uh, the mm-hmm. perfect actor for that. I mean, you know, he's Doctor Who, you know, people know him as, but he was in the what, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and he was the bad guy in that one. Uh, he's in this show, uh, British show called uh, Grace Point, not Grace Point, uh, Broadchurch, sorry, Broadchurch. He plays this kind of crooked, not crooked, but he's like this uh, off detective who's got a dark past. He's, he's a great actor. He can do bad really well. So, yeah, I agree. I think this is going to be, he's going to be a great film. Yeah, I was kind of upset. I mean, I was happy when I heard he was cast as uh, the Purple Man, but I was kind of upset because I've always been kind of... I feel like when it comes to the cinematic universe for DC, as far as Batman movies go, the one thing we haven't seen is a a detective Batman. You know, with the Nolanverse, it was a lot of, hey, Alfred, go press all these buttons and figure out the answer and then tell me, and then I'm just going to go growl at some people. But, you know, that's a whole other conversation. And... I, I was really hoping he would get cast as the Riddler, and I kind of wanted to see, like, a Batman movie that was, like, a mix of, like, Zodiac and Seven with the Riddler kind of leading him in, like, a scavenger hunt throughout Gotham, you know, and it's a real detective thing. But, I mean, we can't always have what we want. Um, which leads into my question is, you know, what are some of the things you would really like to see, you know, coming out of this DC universe, you know, with the Suicide Squad and, you know, we're obviously going to get a Batman standalone. You know, we got Aquaman coming up. You know, Wonder Woman. What what's kind of some storylines or just some plot points from maybe books that you've read or just just in general some things you'd like to see come out of the DC universe to separate it from Marvels. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever see it, but I would love to see Kingdom Come. Um, that's one of my favorite stories. I mean, Alex Ross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see the rack. Yeah, I see it. I see it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's one of my favorite stories. Uh, every time I do a press event for one of the new DC animated movies, I always ask if Houston's there or uh, uh, Tucker is there, any of the DC animated guys, I'm like, are you ever going to do Kingdom Come? And they all say, we'd love to do it. Not, I mean, they're going to do the killing joke. They're getting the killing joke next year. That's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to see it. I don't know if any of you guys played the uh, uh, new video game, uh, Arkham Knight. Uh, you, know, you see that little scene? Yeah, you see that scene from the, from the killing joke in there. Yeah, another fantastic uh, Murder Brothers uh, game. And so I'm excited to see uh, I'd love to see Kingdom Come um, for DC. I, think that, I mean, it's just like a, I mean, if they're older, so you can just do like a one-off movie on it. You know, just kind of like, think of First Class. I mean, First Class takes place in the 60s, so I mean, you could do a story like that. You can go in the future, you can go in the past. So maybe at some point we'll see either The Killing Joke, I've never seen animated, but a live-action version, or maybe Kingdom Come. Would be good too. It, seem, it seems to me that the, not only with, with the animated series, but the live-action productions as well, that DC is not so much going darker, but they're willing to be more violent. They're willing to be more visceral and graphic on screen. With Killing Joke potentially maybe being R-rated, do you think that this is going to be a common theme, that they're going to go for that R-rating now? Is that that a good business move for them? I don't think so. I think uh, if it's a smaller budget, Movie they would, but I think it's just too much money. Like I've heard rumors that Batman vs Superman is the most expensive movie ever made. You know, so when you're spending two fifty, three, like I think this, you know, like James Bond is a movie they basically go rated R if they wanted to, but Spectre cost I think two hundred and fifty million to make. So I mean, uh, Tyler, I heard you're going to see that later on tonight. So I mean, I heard you know they they're not going to go rated R because rated R movies just don't make as much money. You know, the top rated rated R movies don't no, don't even touch the top rated PG thirteen and PG movies. You know. Careful, we always you hear us talk about on movie talk. I'm always careful with people like just because it's R doesn't mean it's better, you know. I mean, it's, I, I love Predator, I love Alien, I love me a good action, you know, story uh, movie every now and then, but you know, I mean, you, you know, you can do great storytelling, you know, in a PG 13 format, and, and you can go dark. 
and I mean, you know, you're talking like you said, like I like just because it's R doesn't mean it's gonna be great, which I totally agree with because I mean, you look at like Christopher Nolan's movies. That I mean, that stuff was pretty. I mean, Batman was breaking legs and Bane was breaking backs, and it was still PG thirteen. And I mean, you hear the rumors now where they're kind of saying this, you know, this upcoming movie is going to be like a mix between Under the Red Hood and Death of the Family, which I mean is one of Batman's darker stories. But it's I don't think it's anything that needs to be R. I, I think so far they're doing a good job. I mean, I could see why. I, I think the R rating is more of a comfort blanket than anything. It's like you know. It's there if we need it, but we don't want to have to use it. I mean, you look at Deadpool, you know, I can see why that movie ha- has to be R-rated because of the Deadpool character. But, I mean, it's you can, what happens in your mind is a lot scarier and can be way more twisted than what you actually see on screen. So I think that's kind of what they can use. You know, have it PG-13 and have stuff happening off screen or using shadows and stuff like that. And it, I think that would be way more effective than having an R-rating and actually seeing it. So... Oh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think some of the better horror movies of all time, like, look at Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, like, in the 1970s. I mean, that was a rough movie. But if you remember, if you've seen it, it's not the goriest movie ever. They don't always show everything. It's all, a lot of it's implied. Stuff is happening, but you don't see everything in front of you. I think, for me, I'm not the biggest horror guy ever, but, I mean, if I do see a good horror movie or scary movie, I prefer if everything, like, The Conjuring, and everything's there, if it's not... You don't see everything, or it's not super gory. Because when you see everything, like a torture porn, like Saw or Hostel, I feel like for me that takes away from it. So if you can do it in a subtle way, in a way that just implies everything, like you said, that that stuff that's hidden that Christopher Nolan does so well, then I'm all for that. So, so David, we were we spent a lot of the time talking about not only your career but also what you're into, what you what you see as the future of some of these franchises. But that's that's your profession. You do this for a living. Let's let's take it more personally. What is the what are the last three things that you watched on Netflix and why? Netflix, Netflix. Oh, uh, okay. Why well, last night actually? Uh, Deep on Sorry's new show started. Uh, Master of None. Deep on Sorry from Parks and Rec. He has a new uh, sitcom out called Master. It's fantastic. I watched my roommate and I watched the first four minutes, four, four episodes. Uh, it's only ten episodes. They all dropped last night. Uh, and it, it's great. Uh, it's like you know, about a thirty-something-year-old in New York City trying to figure out if he wants to do that. That was really good. Uh, Dennis and I watched Narcos, uh, which is very good on Netflix about Pablo Escobar. Fantastic story. A lot of fun with that. Either of you have a hero pro? You can check that out on YouTube. And the last thing, oh, Beast of No Nation with Idris Elba. Who should be the next James Bond? Uh, in my head. There we go. That's what we've been um, saying. Beast of Foundation is a great story. Uh, so I can't remember what country they're in in Africa, uh, but uh, Idris Elba plays this mil- military leader. He's a villain, and uh, like David Tennant, is going to be Purple Man. Idris Elba can play a great villain too. So yeah, I would recommend that. all those three that I've seen. I'd recommend. That's awesome. Well, I think uh, I think we've got to wrap it up pretty soon here, but uh, just so people can, can get in touch with you, and, and where can people find your work, and where are you at, what are you on, what have you been doing? Okay, so I'm all over the place. So on Twitter, you can find me at DrippinDE. On uh, Twitter, um, I'm on uh, Think Hero Pro on YouTube. Uh, we do, you know, television reviews, uh, movie reviews. I do all my video game review content is on there. If you want to check that out, uh, Michael Nadine and I just did a review of uh, Halo, Guardians, uh, also reviewed Assassin's Creed Syndicate, and working on my Call of Duty. I was playing Call of Duty actually before I did a few times, so I'm going to work on that review pretty soon. Uh, of course, I'm on Collider. Uh, occasionally, you can find me on Collider, Jedi Council, or Movie Talk. Uh, 
two after shows I'm doing. I'm doing Star Wars Rebels recap show with John Campy and Christian Marla on Collider, and I'm also doing the Flash recap show, as you guys said earlier. And, uh, oh, Screen Rant, too. I write, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Write for oh, yeah, right. Uh, screen Rant. Um, right now, I'm writing major reviews of Star Wars Rebels on there. So, once you write written reviews, check out Screen Rant. I'm be reviewing a new show this weekend called Flesh and Bone on Stars. Ballet. It looks like Black Swan, like Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan, but on television, so that looks kind of interesting, very dark, very gritty. I'll be reviewing that too. So, yeah, that's all the place you can find me. Yeah, well, you're a busy guy, it sounds like, so. Yeah, well. Yeah, like I said, sadly though, we, like I said, we have to wrap it up. I mean, we could probably talk to you for hours if given the chance, but uh, maybe we can do another interview in the future sometime. Uh, but we'd really like to thank you, especially since you know fellowship fire up and everything. So, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time to you know out of your schedule to talk to us. It really means a lot. So, thank you so much, David. Okay, so I really appreciate you guys. Um, it means a lot. It's cool to talk to you guys, talk to you know Chippewas, and uh, yeah, if you ever want me on, please let me know. This is great. A lot of fun. Huh. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Okay, wake up in the morning and I go and get the paper. Gotta get the paper. Every morning, gotta get Wow, that was a good interview, eh, guys? Uh, I, I mean, I really, really, really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm tickled pink. Mm. This has actually been recorded like several days after. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're totally making this up right that now. That being said, though, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like, the, after we did that interview, like I got home and I was like, he was on cloud nine, I was like, it? yeah, because I mean, I I enjoy his work. I read his articles. I've seen him on all those shows, like I, like he mentioned, like that paragraph that he gave us. All these things, like that he's involved in. I, I follow him on all of them. So I mean, for me, it was kind of like second only to meeting you guys. Oh, well, well, we'll imagine that. <laughs> yeah. We're not nearly as important as David Griffin, not yet. Got to throw uh, a huge thank you out to him. Too, absolutely, for doing that. he was so. very gracious to talk to us on a, uh, a Saturday afternoon. He's in California too, so time difference is way off. Yeah, we were like what talking to him at like noon, something like that. So yeah. Yeah, like, it was like nine o'clock in the morning his time, right? playing Call of Duty while he was waiting for us. <laughs> yeah, what a guy. But yeah, thank you very much, David. We really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun talking to you, and uh, I'm glad that we had him. Hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, yeah, be sure to be sure to go check out all the stuff online. Uh, I hope hope that all came through pretty clearly there. Yeah, yeah. big plug for David. Go read his work. But uh, that's that's it for our episode here, guys. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, you can always tune into us on iTunes uh, or SoundCloud. You can download us on SideCloud. Uh, we have a Facebook and a Twitter. You can follow us at Raving Geeks. And always uh, be sure to check us out on cmlife.com. Cm-life.com. Actually, we got to forget that. Hyphen. hyphen is very important. Uh, if I could change one thing, it'd be it's getting the hyphen. that stupid hyphen. Yeah, I can't do that, buddy. It's too ingrained. But thank you very much, guys. Tune in for us. Uh, same bat time, same bat network. Gotta get the paper. Every morning, gotta go and get the paper. And a nice cup of coffee. Order one with two espresso shots and it called Red Eye. Ain't no telling how many newspapers I read. Buy several papers and I'll read them all twice.